We'll start today's JX with the debrief, where JPR reporters talk about the stories they've been covering for this week. And it's been a busy week as they've covered a sexual assault charge for a former Ashland massage therapist, a massive fish kill at Winchester Dam, and a proposed wildlife crossing in southern Oregon. News Director Eric Newman is out this week, but I'm joined by reporters Roman Battaglia and Jane Vaughn. Jane, we're going to start with you and talk about the feature you published this week. As a warning to our listeners, the story is about sexual assault. Jane, what was your process like? You worked for a long time on this story. Yeah, so just to summarize, if you haven't heard the story, uh, I published it this week. It's about a former licensed massage therapist who worked in Ashland uh, who was charged with three counts of third-degree sexual abuse. And uh, I talked with two women who said they were assaulted by this guy. His name is Kevin Farrow. So in terms of the process, we received a tip actually at JPR from one of the women in the story who reported being assaulted. Uh, And this was months ago. As you said, I've been working on this story for ages. Um, So we received a tip and I talked to her, got some sort of back background information and then just started doing more research and talking to people and trying to think of who might have been involved in this or who might have any more information. Um, Getting documentation was really important. So there was some publicly available documents online from the Oregon Board of Massage Therapists. I've reached out to them and the Oregon Board of Chiropractic Examiners to see what they would have. And then one of the women I interviewed actually had a ton of documentation, so that was super helpful as well. Um, And then we also had to decide, you know, who was going to remain anonymous in the story. We had a couple people request anonymity, um, which is not something that we take lightly, but we decided in this case that these two people merited it. One of them was someone reporting sexual assault, and one of them was um, afraid of retribution. Um, And it's important to note that these people were not anonymous to me. I know their full names. I visited them at their homes and determined that they're, you know, trustworthy sources, confirmed what they told me, they had documentation to support their claims and, and all of that. Um, and then once I had all the information, you you get to the writing stage and have to write both the web story and the audio script, and then you go through the whole fact-checking and editing process. So it's a it's a long process for sure. No, definitely. Um, aside from the, the person who left the tip, how did you find the sources for the story? Yeah, so there was first the woman who called in with the tip, and then I was in, put in touch with the other survivors. So the main crux of the story was the, the two women who reported being assaulted. And then they put me in touch with five uh, acquaintances who they had told about their assaults firsthand. And so I talked to all of them just to sort of corroborate their stories and go over with what they remembered and, and try to confirm as much as possible. Um, I also reached out to Susan Moen, who's from the Jackson County Sexual Assault Response Team, and she's just a great local resource as someone who does this type of work and could speak to sort of the problem and the context uh, more generally. And then one of the women who reported being assaulted uh, put me in touch with the anonymous therapist who's included in the story, and she uh, used to work with Kevin Farrow at Southern Oregon Chiropractic. Um, I also reached out to the Ashland Police Department, who they were able to give me some general information, nothing specific. It's an ongoing investigation. Um, same thing with the DA. It's an ongoing investigation. And then, of course, tried to get in touch with the people at Southern Oregon Chiropractic as well. So I reached out to the CEO who declined to speak to me. Um, her lawyer declined to speak to me. I tried to get in touch with the office manager, Tanya Lewis. So I had left some messages for her on the phone. And then the CEO sent me an email saying that she was going to send a cease and desist letter if I kept harassing her staff. Um, I also had a phone number for Kevin Farrow, uh, who's the, the guy who's been charged. So I have talked with him on the phone multiple times and you know, given him the opportunity to comment. And he's really declined to say anything beyond denying the allegations. But I have spoken with him. 
And then as we got closer to publishing, so when the story was basically written, we sent what are called no surprises letters. And so you basically write down all of the allegations. It's a bullet pointed list of every single thing that's going to be in the story so that they knew it was coming and they had a chance to respond if they wanted to. So we gave those to Kevin Farrow and the CEO, Rochelle Sinclair. And then we actually walked into Southern Oregon Chiropractic's office and hand delivered the letter to the office manager, Tanya Lewis. So everybody knew what was in the story um, and none of them responded. Wow. Um, How'd you go about confirming or fact checking what was a monumental amount of information? Yeah, it was it was definitely tough and, and really important. So we spent a really, really long time on this. We went over it again and again and again with uh, our news director, Eric Newman. And so basically just had to confirm everything that I was told, either, you know, from someone else or from a document or from an official source. Like you have to corroborate everything. Uh, I had a bunch of good good documents to go off of, which was great. And then, you know, we left out anything that couldn't be confirmed by official documents or other corroborating sources. So we had to go with only the things that that we could fact check and, and verify. What for you, what was the hardest part about doing the story? It took a really long time, as we've said. Um, and part of that was just timelines, people's schedules, you're waiting to hear back from everyone, and then fact-checking again and again and clarifying this point and making sure we got it all right, and then there's editing and more editing, and you find new sources and they point you in other directions. So it's a it's a long process, and that sometimes just got frustrating, but I did think it was a, a worthwhile story to do. So really tried to run down every possible lead that we could come up with so that we didn't leave any stone unturned, made sure we got everything accurate. And again, I really tried to do my due diligence and be fair to the people who were the subject of these accusations. So we treated everything with skepticism and and corroborated all and, and fact checked it all. And we really made a huge effort to to reach out to them and talk to all of them and make sure that they knew what was happening. They knew what we were going to say when we published and they had the opportunity to to be involved in, in respond as well. Well, um, what are you following up next with the story? So it's important to say there's been charges filed in this case, but no conviction. So we are just at the very beginning of the legal process here. Um, the next step is that Kevin Farrow's arraignment is going to be on October 17th. And then also just want to mention um, for anyone who might have experienced sexual assault or something similar to what was mentioned in the story, I have some resources in the story, which is on our website, ijpr.org. If you scroll down to the bottom, there's a bunch of resources there that people might find helpful. Or you might consider reaching out to the Ashland Police Department or the Jackson County District Attorney as well. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, Roman, let's turn to you. You gave us an update on an effort to build a wildlife crossing in southern Oregon over I-5. What exactly is a wildlife crossing? (laughs) Yeah, so basically imagine like a bridge over or under the road, but it's for wildlife. So instead of like a regular bridge with a road on it and asphalt, it's covered in like dirt, grass, and trees. It's really weird to like imagine that. Um, But basically it helps keep the wildlife from getting into car crashes from trying to cross the road. If you have ever been in Ashland, you might notice the insane amount of deer here that love crossing the road at all hours of the day and stopping all of the cars. And so this would basically allow deer, um, you know, elk, bears, even badgers and stuff to be able to cross the road without actually going on the road itself and getting into car crashes. Um, It could also be something like an underpass, like a tunnel, but usually those are used for like shorter distances or for smaller animals. And it's 
built in conjunction with fencing, which basically helps guide the animals towards the crossing and stay away from the road. Um, there's actually a lot of these built all over California. I've seen a map of all the ones built over there, but this would be the first one built over I-5 anywhere across the three states. Oh, wow. Um, why do they want to build one here in Southern Oregon? Yeah, so specifically here, there's a lot of crashes in this area, especially between Ashland and California. Um, this specific section of I-5 cuts through a major wildlife areas, specifically the Cascade Siskiyou National Monument, but there's also national forests and other, you know, wild lands on either side of the highway. And so when wildlife want to go migrate somewhere else, or maybe they need to go get for more food or something, they need to cross this highway right now. And so that's why this is a really dangerous spot. Um, there's uh, reports that show a lot of deer get hit in this stretch of highway, but um, between 2016 and 2020, there were at least five bears and a cougar oh. hit on this highway. So, you know, that doesn't even mention all of the smaller animals that'll get hit, raccoons, you know, smaller skunks and all those kind of animals. So this would be really a great spot to build one, essentially, from the groups that have kind of been pushing for this. Um, I've also seen they've talked about the effectiveness of these have been proven all over the country. Um, on US 97 in central Oregon, wildlife crossings there have decreased 90% um, of crashes there between wildlife and cars. So they really have proven to be effective in keeping wildlife off the roads. Oh, man. And um, what's been the progress on building it here? Yeah, so here they're in kind of the design and engineering phase of stuff. Uh, ODOT won $1.5 million in state funding for this design phase. Um, that's part of this $7 million package legislatures passed a few years ago to help design and build more wildlife crossings. And so it's expected that the design of it is going to be completed by the end of next year. They've basically kind of settled on one of eight possible sites for this overpass. Um, they picked this site specifically called the Mariposa Preserve, I believe it's called, because it is bridging between two federal lands um, and the design of it would be easier. It's on like a straight section of the road, whereas one of the other places, it would bridge between federal lands and private lands and that just makes it more complicated and it's on like a curved section of the road. Um, but they still need at least, they anticipate $20 million to actually build this bridge. So they've applied for this federal grant um, through this new wildlife crossing pilot program through the US Department of Transportation and that was funded through a bipartisan infrastructure law passed in 2021. Over a stretch of a few years, there's a total of $350 million in that fund for the whole U.S. Okay, that's, that's a lot. Um, do they think they'll be able to get that much money? Yeah, so they, they say they're confident that they're going to be able to get that much. Um, they say that this is a really high-priority project. Um, there's a lot of crashes here, being the fact that it's a busy federal highway and the initial plans for it are already completed, so they kind of are confident that they're going to be able to get a lot of that. And they've already been doing tracking of wildlife crossing this highway and stuff, which is would be a part of the pilot program if they got the funding. Okay. Um, how long do you think it'll take before we're able to drive underneath or, or over <laughs> this wildlife crossing? <laughs> yeah, so they're hoping to find out about the results of this grant funding early next year, though um, the group I talked to did mention that a government shutdown that's expected this weekend could delay that. Um, and if approved, then construction could begin in early 2025 or 2026. Um, the people I talked to said it shouldn't be a super long project to build, unlike some of other ODOT projects, and, and it probably wouldn't close down I-5 completely. There might be some okay. delays, but they're not like building on the road itself, so people could keep going through. 
Oh, okay. That's good to know. Thank you. Jane, you also covered a story this week about work on the Winchester Dam near Roseburg. First, can you give us some background on that? Yeah, so this is a story that, that Eric has been covering about the Winchester Dam, which is on the North Umpqua River near Roseburg in Oregon. And it's a 16-foot high concrete and wood dam. And it's interestingly owned by the landowners who live along the reservoir that the dam creates. So they're called the Winchester Water Control District. And they're the ones who own the dam. So there was some repair work that was done um, in August and early September of this year. And um, the work was basically reinforcing the dam with concrete and steel and then they had to fill in some holes in the dam with polyurethane foam. Um, interestingly, the president of that water control district is also the owner of the contractor that repaired the dam. Um, and so the problem with this repair work was that they had to drain all the water behind the dam to do the repairs, or not all the water, but some of it. And that led to hundreds of thousands of lamprey dying. Um, so there's been a lot of discussion and, and debate about this dam. You know, on the one side, environmentalists are saying temporarily closing this dam's fish ladder really stressed out some some fish species. One of them, the Oregon Coast coho salmon, is already listed as threatened under the Endangered Species Act. They say this dam is old and it's privately owned. It primarily benefits local residents and it just shouldn't exist. On the other side, the, the Water Control District and the local residents say that they're committed to responsibly maintaining the dam and managing it, and they're really trying to improve conditions and improve the fish ladder. So that's the debate. And from what I know with the lamprey, from what I've read, the reason why a lot of them have died is because they like live in the mud around the lake or in the reservoir. Oh, and so right. like when the water was drained, that mud would dry out, and that's kind of what kills the lamprey. I know that initially when they learned that the lamprey were dying, they some groups had set up like sprinklers they were trying to gather the lamprey and save them. And then they also had like sprinklers all over the dry parts of the reservoir to keep them from dying. But it clearly didn't do enough work. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so what's the latest with the dam? So this week there were some state agencies that gave a presentation to the state Senate Natural Resources Committee about the repair work. Um, there's a lot of public interest in this. And there's a lot of questions now about transparency and accountability for what happened. So these agencies didn't really have a lot of answers. They didn't really say who might be liable to pay financial damages. You know, they state statute was violated pertaining to unlawful killing of wildlife, um, but they didn't really have an answer um, of who might pay for that or what that total might be. They said there's a report that's ongoing, but TBD, when it will be released. So the senators were really pressing them on when they might have the report, and they repeatedly just declined to say. So... We'll just kind of be looking out for this official report and, and see what happens. These agencies have been invited back to present again, so we'll be following along with that. Okay, thank you. And that's it for the debrief. You can reach the newsroom with comments on our coverage and suggestions for things we should cover in the future through our tip line, which is our website at ijpr.org. You can find this program on Spotify as a podcast or download it at jeffexchange.org. 